We're so honored that you joined us for this week's message here at Hope Church in Kalispell, Montana. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. You guys glad to be in the house of God today? I'm so glad. What an honor and a privilege it is to get to preach this morning. We're in the middle of this series right now called Sword and Shovel that we started at the beginning of the year where we've been looking at the story of Nehemiah and God's call on his life to rebuild the broken down walls of Jerusalem. And man, what a powerful series it's been. If you uh, join us at any point in the middle of a series and you feel like you've missed something, you can always go back and listen on our podcast or our YouTube channel and get caught up there because there's so many great messages in this series already. Um, But before we jump into today's message, I'd love to just go to the Lord in prayer, and uh, we'll just pray for God's blessing on this moment, and we'll pray for our nation as well. So uh, let's pray together. Jesus, we're so, so grateful for your, your perfect love for us. God, as we just observed, Lord, we thank you for your body broken, your blood poured out for us, that we are new creations because of you. Lord, I know that the work is an ongoing work and today's part of that work. So we give you permission in this moment, in this time as we listen, Lord, for your spirit to speak to us. Lord, I pray that you would use me to communicate and I pray that the position of our heart would be to say yes, to receive the seed of the word of God so that we can become more and more like Jesus. God, our heart cry as well is we wanna see revival. Lord, we want to see it in this nation. We want to see it in this valley. We know it needs to start in this church, in us. So God, we just make ourselves available and we say continue to do a work in us. Let us be humbled continually. Lord, let us realize our great need for you. Our nation needs you. So Lord, I pray that you would stir the hearts of people who are close to politicians, who can have access. Lord, I pray that you bring godly men and women to influence influencers. So Lord, we just pray that you would do supernaturally what seems to be impossible for man to do, that you would get a hold of people's hearts and you would once again turn the heart of this nation towards you. God, we need you to intervene. It's been a year and a half or so of just, where are you? We're kind of wondering what's happening and it's hard to see you sometimes. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Help us to see where you're moving. Help us to trust that you are moving. And God, I pray that it could begin in us, in me, in this church. Lord, let the spirit of revival continue in this place. As you've been doing all these last few weeks, Lord, we thank you for what you've been doing in this church. And we pray that it continues today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 So, Sword and Spirit, what a powerful series this has been. Today's message title, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down. Today's message title is Holy Hurt. Holy Hurt. And you'll see what that means in just a second. Um, I wanted to just start off and tell you a story about my dog. Obviously, this makes a lot of spiritual sense to start off like this, but this is my little dog, Charlie. She's, um, she's my first child, and um, you know, she's a very loud little dog. She's a mini schnauzer. Anybody have a mini schnauzer in the house? Nobody. Don't get one. They're loud. She's, she's this tall, but she sounds like she's this tall. She's, uh, she's got a big bark, and uh, sometimes it gets really annoying. Every time somebody knocks on the door, she starts barking. So a few years ago, <laughs> the bark had just gotten a little bit too much for me, so I started researching how do you 
uh, without a vocal cord surgery, stop a dog from barking. <laughs> so uh, I found these, I found these, bark, these barking collars on Amazon that you could put on a dog and it would stop the dog from barking. And they make a few different kinds. One of them is, you know, it kind of sprays like a lemon flavor into the dog's mouth or something and kind of stops it from barking. My dog loves lemonade, so that wasn't gonna work. So I had to get the shocking one. And um, I don't know, some of you are judging me so hard already, but I didn't know it was going to end up like this. So I get this dog collar, and it was kind of like a one-size-fits-all dog collar. Now, what I thought that meant is like any dog can recognize, it's a little thing, hey, don't do that, that's annoying. What it really meant is like from little dogs to big dogs, and you have to find the range. I just put the dial on, and I put it on, on. So I, I put this barking collar on my little dog, and the next time someone knocks at our front door, my, my dog starts barking, and the moment she barks, it zaps her. So it zaps her, and it zaps her like, like she's this big, but it zaps her like she's this big. So, I mean, she gets it. And the moment she gets it, she starts crying. So when she whimpers, it gets her again. So it's cry, zap, cry, zap, cry, zap. And she's running in the corner. She's crying. So um, I feel terrible. I chase her into the corner. I'm trying to take it off of her. She's like, who are you? What have you done to me? You know, you betrayed me. So I finally get the collar off. I felt terrible. Now, there's good news and bad news. The good news is she didn't bark for like a week. It was awesome. But then one day she like, she forgot that like, you know, the, the whole encounter and she like, somebody knocks at the door and she barks again. And she's like, whoa, hey, I can bark again. So she starts barking again. And I'm like, oh man, I hate to do this, but I, I'm going to just get that collar out again. But I, did, I took the battery out. I was like, I wonder if she's smart enough to remember the collar and just stop her from barking. And it worked. So I put the collar back on her with no battery, and she, and she like went into the corner, tail between the legs, she was like no noise, stopped barking uh, while this collar was on her neck because she thought it's gonna get me again. It stopped the very, it's like my dog's like created to bark, it's like the one thing she does. But the, the threat of this collar stopped her from making her sound. And I wonder how many of us the enemy has been playing the same game with us. That he has somehow stopped you from making your unique sound. Every one of us have a sound. You've got a voice God has put inside of you, a reason you are here on this earth. And the enemy loves to throw empty threats at you to shut you up. And just like Pastor Lance just said, the enemy's authority has been stolen. It's been robbed. He has no power over you. But we believe that lie so often and we don't end up projecting the sound we were called to create, we were called to make. I, I, I saw an interview with Steve Martin. He's one of the greatest comedians of all time. And he, um, he was talking about how in the 70s he's coming up and he's like starting to show up in comedy clubs and there's so many people on the circuit at the time. And one of the things he said stuck out to me because if you know Steve Martin's comedy, he's got a really unique comedy. And he said this, he said, I had a revelation that I would never amount to anything if I didn't have my own voice. And isn't that a cool perspective? He understood, maybe I need to put an arrow on my head. Maybe I need to, to play these silly songs as I'm performing. Maybe I need to do something to become, to be me. Like, who am I? Who is Steve Martin? And I, I think that that's one of the things that you see in, in people who, are, who achieve like purpose and greatness is that they realize, I'm, I'm gonna be unique. 
I'm gonna be different. I'm gonna have a different sound. I'm gonna be different than everyone else. And that's something you should lean into, not be afraid of. So you see that in the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is like the only guy who's gonna stand up. He's the only guy who's gonna do something. It's amazing to me that there's like all these people return and they're just okay with the walls being torn down. And Nehemiah is like, I'm not gonna be like everybody else. I'm gonna fix the wrong that I see right here. So the context of the series that we've been in, you know, the, the Jews return to Jerusalem after the Babylonian exile, and this happens about 607 to 586 BC, they're returning, and they return to an unprotected Jerusalem. And Nehemiah finally comes on the scene somewhere around 446 BC is where he hears about the walls being torn down. This is right before, if you know about the gap we call the silent era in Scripture, Malachi is the last prophet in the Old Testament who hears from God, and around 400 years, there's a silence before Zechariah hears from God, John the Baptist's father. So Nehemiah is only 46 years before this silent error. He's one of the last guys God is speaking to to make this wrong right. So this is the context of where we are, and I want to look back into Nehemiah 1 at, at the way that Nehemiah's heart burned for the injustice and the wrong that he saw. So verse three of Nehemiah one says this, Nehemiah had asked about how the city was doing. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And this is the key verse right here. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. What you see in Nehemiah is you see something in the core, in his, in his gut, in the center of who he was, felt sick. It felt off. He was, this cannot continue. This has to be fixed. So when I talk about your holy hurt today, this moment that Nehemiah has, this is when he is recognizing his holy hurt and the reason I say it's a holy hurt is because it's not just a natural hurt, something that annoys him, but it is a divine hurt. It is something that God gave him. It was something God said, this is something I have shown you to make right. So Nehemiah recognized this. He sees this thing and this, this, there's this burning inside of him and, and he realizes I have to do something. Somebody has to do something. He's looking around, nobody's stepping up, nobody's doing it and it, and it makes him realize I'm, maybe I'm the one to do it. Maybe I'm the one who's gonna fix this. What's the thing that keeps you up at night? That's what I wanna ask you. What is your holy hurt? How do you find it? It's the thing that when you see it, you're like somebody's gotta fix that. Somebody has to do it. And I think there's just, too often there's so many Christians who are, you're like a rocket ship. Like you ever seen the SpaceX rocket ships? They're, they look beautiful. They're, they're, they're perfectly shaped for flight. They're, they've got the logo on the side. They're just like, man, that thing's going to space. I can tell. That thing is made for space. Look at it. But without combustion, it's not going anywhere. There has to be a moment when something on the inside of that rocket ignites and propels it to its purpose. And that's exactly what it's like for you and I. Like we spend so much time in the body of Christ, in a local church, in connect groups, and we look so shiny. We look like we are made for flight. We can quote scripture, we can do all the church things and people see us and they're so impressed. But did you let the fire of the Holy Spirit light you up enough to where you actually do something with all that pretty? With all that, you look great. You look like a fantastic rocket. But at some point, 
It's got to catch fire. You got to let it propel you. So what is your holy hurt? I I read an article. There was a guy who was quoted in there. He was a German philosopher. He was an atheist and uh, a nihilist. Uh, He was a follower of Friedrich Nietzsche. And um, there's there's a mindset or a belief system called nihilism, which basically means there is no purpose to anything. There's no purpose to humanity. There's no purpose to life. And he says this about nihilism. He says, and he believes this, if God, as the suprasensory ground and goal of all reality, is dead, if the suprasensory world of ideas has suffered the loss of its obligatory and above it its vitalizing and upbuilding power, then nothing more remains to which man can cling and by which he can orient himself. That's a lot of words we don't necessarily use today, so I'll translate it mainly for me. But he's basically saying this, without God, there is no substantive purpose. Without God, why are we here? What's his purpose? He recognizes that, but he has chosen to believe there is no God. He's just chosen it. Even though he recognizes that, that without this God, without belief in God, without a divine, holy hurt and purpose in my life, there's no reason to live. Even though he acknowledges it, he chooses to distance himself from this God who gave his life for him. And I wonder how many of us, that we actually live that way, like we don't want to know or we're scared to ask. We don't get a hold of that thing God put in us. If you get a hold of that, if you find out why God put whatever it is inside of you, you will never be the same. If you let the Spirit of God light you on fire like that, Your life will never look the same. And sometimes, you know, you might hear a message about purpose and you're like, but what do I actually do? Like, I have this thing. I've got a concern. I've got a pain that I feel. But what do I do about that? Well, we just talked about next steps. It's like the perfect opportunity for you to begin this path of like, what am I here for? It's a great way to say, hey, here's what we believe the Bible says about your purpose, who we are as a church. Together, we can make a big difference. So let's just be a part of that. If you haven't jumped in, that's one great first step. So you're probably wondering why I have this bike on stage, right? So <laughs> I think that there are so many believers who, who do this thing, okay? So this is an awesome bike, by the way. This thing is like more than my education. So don't fall, don't fall. Okay, that, that curve is kind of hairy. So, I mean, when you're driving a bike, driving? Steering, riding, whatever it's called. When you're riding a bike, look at that, I'm on the edge, I'm extreme. When you're riding a bike, you've got a pedal to steer. Isn't that right? And there's so many people that they've got this purpose, they've got this thing, they've got this direction, they've got even maybe God put it in them and they recognize it, they see it and they're just waiting on God and they're like, God, all right. I see it, I wanna do something with it. And this is what they do. Instead of driving around, they're like, all right, I'm here. God, just start doing something. Just move my life. Just make stuff happen. Just do it. And God's like, just put your foot on the pedal. Just start moving. Because here's the thing. You can't steal, you can't steer a steel bike. A bike that's sitting there cannot be steered. It has to be moving. And there is a responsibility to your purpose and calling that you bear. So God will steer you and guide you and direct you, but your responsibility is to begin to move it. And you probably, the honest truth is, you're probably gonna make some mistakes along the way. 
I've made some mistakes along the way. I've embarrassed myself. I've, I've done some stupid, uh, stupid things in my life in ministry that I regret. But I believe God is like, hey, I can't do anything when you just sit there. But if you start moving, I'll take it, mistakes and all, and I'll begin to steer it. I'll begin to adjust it. But you got to start putting some momentum there. You got to start moving. <clears throat> I'm going to give you three things today. Three points, if you're taking notes, write them down. First one is this, God has appointed you to address your frustration. What are you frustrated about? What are you annoyed with? What do you see and you're like, oh, somebody's gotta fix it. Somebody needs to do something. That theology is so bad. Somebody needs to fix it. Those poor people are being left, nobody's reaching people. Why don't somebody get out in the streets and begin to minister to people? Why doesn't somebody care for the widows or care for the orphans? Why doesn't somebody do that? Now, I think there's so many Christians that you get so upset with people, with everybody else, because they're not doing the thing you were called to fix. And it's okay for you to be passionate about it, but don't project your frustration on everybody else. God put it in you. God created you to do something about it. There's a reason I'm wearing these super loud shoes today. Look at these. I love Nike shoes. Uh, and these shoes, they're like, they're really, they're great trail shoes apparently. I haven't got a chance to do that yet. But um, I love Nike because they're like slogan ever since I heard it, just do it. I'm like, man, I love that they just take the excuses away. Like, you wanna, you wanna like be a good athlete? Like, just go do it. Start working out. Just work on it, just make it happen, whatever it is. And I think there's so many excuses that we can come up with and we're like, God, if you just, if you just would steer my life, I would do it. If you just make all this stuff happen, if you just put the dollar amount in there, Lord, you, do, you just do it. And he's like, do you wanna use faith at all? <laughs> like, there has to be like at some point, just start moving, start doing it, start following that dream. So what you see about Nehemiah's story, this is so, this is so cool. You know, because I think, unless you're, unless you're willing to do something about it, don't complain about it. Nehemiah saw the problem on the wall, and he was like, I'll, I'll be the one to fix it. Not only that, but he went, he saw the wall, he saw the problem, and he came with a solution. Before he even talked to the leaders, he was like, here's the walls that are broken down, here's the gates that need to be repaired, he's got a plan, and then he's like, here's what I'm gonna do. He's not like, hey, I need a, pa I need a, I need a meeting with Pastor Lance, um, have a meeting. Pastor Lance, here's the problems I see with the church, um, and I'd like you to fix it. Or I'm going to stop giving, I'm going to stop coming, I'm going to stop whatever. You get off of your butt because it's your thing that God gave you to do. It's, come on now. What? All right. Romans 12. I love this verse. Romans 12. Man, this bike, this bike is tall. All right. Romans 12. Verse 1 is kind of the, the, the context for it. Give your bodies, he's saying, as a living and holy sacrifice. Verse 6, though, let's jump to that second half of 6. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. It's almost like Paul is saying, just do it. This is your gift. Make it excellent. Make it good. Start doing something with it. <laughs> it's so frustrating to me when we're just like waiting on God to do it. 
waiting on God to move it. I think he's waiting on us way more than we're waiting on him. So let's just start moving the bike. I'll come back to this a little bit later. Yeah, y'all clap while I'm setting this thing up so it's not awkward. All right. Oh, so we went skiing this last week. I went with a few friends to Big Sky. Aaron, my boy over there, Aaron McPherson. We all went down to Big Sky. I met some friends from Louisiana. And yes, Louisiana people do know how to ski. So we all went down to Big Sky. And one of the things that was crazy, we had five guys with us. And like not a bunch of burgers, it was five people. Five, <laughs> five guys were skiing. So we're, we're skiing and it's, it's apparently one of the largest mountains the ski mountains, one of the largest ski mountains in America. So it's a massive place. You could get lost there. So we're like, we want to try to ski together. So we're going to need to try to go down the same runs together if possible. So we're skiing, and it's so funny. Like, this happens multiple times. Oh, I got high waters now. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, you was like, he was like, just, okay. Uh, <laughs> so we're skiing on this mountain, and like, one, one of the things that ha- we try to keep going down the same runs, but this one guy who's like leading us is like last minute decides to run, go down this run and kind of jet, you know, like jet through the trees to get there. Well, we're all like pretty close at this point. So one guy hits another guy, pushes him into the trees. Somebody else falls. They're flying. It's like yard sale, you know, on this mountain while all these guys are like real close to each other. It was really funny. And, and they're like, you know, well, he was too close and he was trying to go that way. And we were all trying to pass the blame on everybody. And it was so funny because it was like, this mountain is massive. Like it's 200 something runs and we're all trying to do the same run. And like, you know, obviously we want to hang out and do this together. But it would have been impossible for all five of us to do all those runs at the same time. At some point, you need to be okay with going down your own run if you're going to cover the whole mountain together. And I think there are so many Christians that were like, I'm comparing myself to somebody else, and I'm like, I want to do what he's doing. I want to be like that. I respect the gift. I see the gift in them. And I'm too afraid to take a chance to, to develop the one I have. So I'm just going to carbon copy myself after him. And, and because of that, we have a limited impact in the world when we try to replicate what someone else is already doing. Why does God need me to do what Pastor David is already doing so well? He's put something in me to be unique, to be special, and together all these flavors reach the whole world. But we've got to be willing to say, you know what, I'm not going to be like it. And then, you know, the crazy thing is when you think about those runs, those ski runs, and you're going down there together, every run's different. Every run has a different grade. It's different steepness. It's got different winding patterns. It's got different undulations in it. It's got all these different feels in in that run, my, my, my purpose and my call is going to look different than yours. And guess what? That's good. That's okay. That's how it was supposed to be. So don't spend all your time projecting your frustration on everybody else for not doing what you're called to do. Let's celebrate the differences in us. Like we're called to be, to be unique. That's your baby. You raise it. You develop that thing. You grow that gifting. And when you begin to project your frustration on other people, it's, it's repugnant. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants, to, nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to be addressed that way. They need to be inspired. You see, Nehemiah actually does this really well in Nehemiah 2, verse 17. It says this, Nehemiah comes up with a plan on what he's going to do. Now I said to them, 
He's speaking to the Israelites who are gathered around. You know very well the trouble that we are in. And I love this, and Nehemiah's like, not the trouble you're in. He's like, I'm actually, I don't live here right now, but it's us. This is an us thing. So you know the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king, how the king had released him to go and help rebuild. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. I love this because Nehemiah is able to inspire people and say, you know what? You have the ability to rebuild. You have the ability to help with this. And I love that Nehemiah is recognizing the gift in so many different people. There's gonna be different jobs. There's gonna be different roles. But all together, we're gonna make this thing happen. Nehemiah, I love how he encourages him. And you'll see this if you study Ezra and Nehemiah. You'll see this phrase, the gracious hand of God. You'll see this phrase multiple times in it. And Nehemiah is saying, listen, I don't know what it is but God's hand has been on me. He's been blessing me. He's been with me. And I'm telling you, there's going to be that anointing is going to follow all of us. And here's why I think that phrase was used so many times. Nehemiah and Ezra, they understood that when you build something bigger than yourself, God blesses it. When you build something bigger than your own life and your own platform, God begins to bless it. So here's the second thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes. If you can accomplish your dream alone, your dream is too small. If you can do it without the help of the local church, without the help of the church, you, you're dreaming too small. The dream on your heart, the passion and the purpose inside of you should be so big, it should be so impossible that you can't do it by yourself, that it takes all the flavors, that it takes all the gifting, that together we make an impact. Because if it was just me, I could get the praise. But if it takes the body of Christ, Jesus gets the praise. So Nehemiah, it's funny though, everybody's got stuff in the Bible, like Jesus is the only flawless example. So Nehemiah's got stuff. It says later in the, in the book that he goes back to his cupbearing job, and then he, he's called on to come back, and he sees like everything's kind of falling apart. They've gone back to like intermarrying and idol worship, and they're like, this is the thing that got you in trouble in the first place. Why are you doing this again? So he's mad, he's angry. He's like, we've rebuilt the city and you're gonna go back to your old ways that got you in trouble in the first place? So he's so mad, it says that he beat up some people and he pulled out their hair. <laughs> have you ever wanted to beat up some people and pull out their hair? I have felt that way, but that is not the answer. <laughs> Nehemiah leans into his flesh and he's so mad, he's so frustrated. And I think that there are certain things Nehemiah did so well, but I think the reason he was so mad and frustrated was because Someone had not continued what he started. Yeah. Now the question I have is, is it someone else's responsibility to continue that? Or are you and I all called to be disciples? I think Nehemiah missed an opportunity to mentor the next Nehemiah. To, when he left, the passion left. The, the passion for the walls and the passion for righteousness, it seems like that left with him. And when, when, I, when you talk about your holy hurt, the question I would have for you is, when you're gone, is it gonna be gone? Is, is whenever you stop making the impact, is, is it all gonna stop? Or is it gonna continue with someone else? What did Jesus do? He let it continue. He got disciples, and now we are 
meeting in a building celebrating Jesus because of our Christian faith. We are Christians. We believe in Christianity because Jesus continued the work. It didn't didn't stop with him, but it continued. And that's what we're called to continue the work. The thing that's in you, it's not about you. It's a role that one day you're going to pass on to someone else. So I want you to see, though, Nehemiah got this thing right. He loved God, and he loved God's people. And I want you to see this verse this in Nehemiah 5, which is the chapter that we are actually in today. In Nehemiah 5, you see this wrong that Nehemiah recognizes in verse 1. About this time, and when it says about this time, the walls are being rebuilt. They're almost there. Some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families. We need more food to survive. And then in verse 5, it says, we belong to the same family as those who are wealthy. And our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have, already some, we have already sold some of our daughters and we are helpless to do anything about it for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. After thinking it over, I spoke out against the nobles and officials. I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. So what you see right here is you see when the Israelites came back out of exile, people kind of settled in to economic areas and layers. And there were those who were poor and those who rose to affluence and they had the money and they were the nobles and they had influence and those people began to take advantage of the poorer families. And Nehemiah is saying, how are you doing this to each other? You are the same body. You are the same people and now you're taking advantage of everyone else. And Nehemiah, as you see his heart light on fire again, that same passion comes alive again that he had for the walls. And one of the things that I noticed about Nehemiah is Nehemiah didn't build the wall because he was a great bricklayer or because he had a passion for like brick patterns. He wasn't like, I really like when bricks are stacked up in a wall instead of in a pile. Like that's not Nehemiah's passion. Nehemiah's passion was for the people and the things of God. That's why the wall mattered. The wall mattered because it protected the people God loved. Nehemiah loved God's people. So you see Nehemiah get upset, he gets angry because of the people that were being taken advantage of. Here's the last point I want you to write down, number three. Tasks are not your calling. People are your calling. It's not about a thing you do. It's about the people that you love. There are people that our gift is meant to serve. And and we spend so much time in and out of the church climbing these ladders to get to the top. And without even realizing it, those ladders that we climb to get to the top are often made of other people. And for us to go up, someone has to go down. But if we let God do the elevating, people don't have to be climbed over. We need to understand that along the way, every step we take, every step towards our purpose needs to love people. It needs to be about the people that God loves. People are not in your way. People are your purpose. I heard a story about these rescue dogs. And I've never, I've never heard this in my life because I'm from South Louisiana. But there's rescue dogs that help people. If there's an avalanche, there are like a crew of dogs that go out and help to find people. 
And um, these dogs, that is like the reason they exist, to find people. And these dogs are trained to where they get joy. It's crazy. These, do- these dogs enjoy the rescuing more than anything else, more than they enjoy a treat, more than they enjoy, uh, you know, some kind of food or some kind of exercise. It is the actual act of pulling the person, getting, finding a person under the snow and rescuing them. The dog goes crazy. Like, I was made for this. The dog's like happy. And the dogs, believe it or not, when there's like a low avalanche season, dogs will get depressed and sad if they're not rescuing enough people. So their, their owners, their trainers, will stage a rescue. Well, they'll bury themselves under the snow so that the dog can experience like this joy again. So the dog is like digging up someone and it's staged, but the dog doesn't know it. The dog's like, got another one, saved another one. The dog's purpose is to save people. And I wonder how many of us the joy of your life, the purpose that lights your heart on fire has to do with saving other people. You don't save them, but you point them to Jesus who does. How much of us, how much of our life, how much of the joy that I receive out of life has to do with showing people Jesus? Yeah, I, love, I love that this is like on Nehemiah's heart, that he's about people. And you see this again, the last verse I'm gonna read in John 2. You see this in Jesus, obviously. Jesus, you've heard this story of Jesus turning over tables and going crazy in the temple because they had made it a den of thieves, as he says. And in, in John's account of it, in verse 13, it says this, it was nearly time for Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. And in the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. But he also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. So that's the key. That's number one. Verse 15, Jesus made a whip from ropes and he chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins all over the floor and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold the doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. I love that reference to the Psalms that David wrote that it wasn't just about David. I think David had it as well. But he was prophesying about Jesus. What consumes something? A fire consumes, right? And you see this fire in Jesus' heart for God's house, for the temple, there's a couple of reasons Jesus got so angry. And one of them has to do with the foreign money being exchanged to buy offerings to give to God. They created a marketplace and it was about stuffing their pockets and let's make the most out of the tourists being here and all of that. And Jesus hated that. It wasn't about worship anymore. But here's one of the things that, that I, was, I was studying in this. This is so fascinating to me. In the temple, I want to show you a photo of the temple and how it was set up. In the outer courts, in the Gentile courts, there we go, you see the Gentiles' courtyard. And the Gentiles' courtyard is where this happened. So it's where everything was being exchanged, the foreign money is coming in, and they're buying offerings. Gentile courtyard was reserved for sojourners, 
for people who are traveling, not necessarily Israelites. These are people who are in search of God, who have heard of God. And they come and they want to offer worship to the one true God. It's the only place they're allowed to come in, but they're allowed to come in and worship. And I believe Jesus was so angry because they had taken the opportunity for someone far from God to know God, they had taken it away. Jesus came for that very reason, that everyone would know the Father. And what Jesus sees in the courtyard, and the reason he is so upset is because you are directly in opposition to the mission I came for. I came for people. I came for all people. And you are stopping that from happening. I think there's nothing that upsets Jesus more than religious obstacles that we put in the way. And I would just challenge us as we talk about purpose and we round this message out. Our purpose has to be about people meeting Jesus. It has to be about people. It's not about steps we take or tasks or things that we accomplish or I'm an excellence person. I'm a production person. I like to do things. Sometimes I can forget I do things so that people would have an easier time entering into relationship with God, saying yes to God. So whatever your calling is, there is always going to be the opportunity for it to be about the thing you do instead of the people it was created to serve. And I think that if Jesus could remind us of something today, it's about the people. It's about the people within the walls. That's why the task started. That's why the walls were built. That's why they were completed because God loves people and wanted to make a place, a safe place for people to come in. Someone told me between services, they'd been studying Nehemiah as well. And one of the cool things they saw was that the sheep gate was the first one that was finished in the walls. And the sheep gate was similar to the Gentile court, that it was the gate for people to come in and out and have relationship with Jews, have relationship with God for outsiders to come in and to be part of the, of the in crowd. And that's what Jesus came for so that everyone would be part of what he started. And I just don't want to do anything in my life that's not about what God's about. It's not about what Jesus is about. So yeah, I want to meet, I want to I find my purpose and I want to accomplish it and I want to be excellent and I don't want to give it to somebody else. I want to do it with all my heart, but I want to do it because I love people. I want, I want that to be the thing that lights my heart on fire. So I want to just challenge you today. Can we just stand up? And I just want to challenge you in this moment as we sing to do this thing. In your, however you're going to do it, you might lift your hands in worship. But I want to challenge you to make this commitment to God. Say, God, I've been waiting on you to do a lot. And today's the day that I'm going to put my foot on the pedal and I'm going to begin to move forward. I'm going to begin to, I'm going to, begin to do something. And I don't have all the answers. You never do. I don't. Pastor Lance and I both have things on our hard dreams about the future. Things are like, I don't know how that's going to happen. But I trust that he will steer it whenever it starts moving. So start moving it. Start moving. 
Take that step of faith. Just give it that momentum. And he's going to begin to move you. So let's just take a moment. And if you want to lift your hands, just take a moment in worship. And let's just say, Lord, have your way. Have your way in us. God, what's so beautiful about this room and those who are watching online is there is such a variety of gifting, such a variety of potential that's here, that's watching, that's just listening, whatever it is, Lord, there is such variety here. And Lord, we know that we can't do what you came to accomplish on this earth on our own, so we need the help of your spirit. So right now, we ask for the infilling of your spirit. Come and baptize us in your spirit. Come and light our hearts on fire. Come and burn away every distraction, every sin, everything that doesn't belong. Light our hearts on fire for the things that light your heart on fire. God, we want what you want. We don't want our own thing. We don't want to build our own platform. We want to build your name and your fame on this earth. And we need your spirit to do it. So come now, fill us. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Hope Church. If you enjoyed this message, you can easily support the ministry of Hope Church at hopechurchmt.com slash give. Also follow us on social media at hopechurchmt. Be blessed and have a great week.